Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. OutKick 360 rolls on. Todd Furman of CBS Sports, formerly of uh, Fox Bets Live with Clay Travis. Um, Todd will join us in 20 minutes. Can't wait to catch up with him. And uh, first question I'll ask is, how did the line move for the Browns whenever the 11-game suspension was announced compared to six for Deshaun Watson on the over-under for win total? Uh, Todd will join us again uh, just around the corner from now. I always feel the urge with Todd just to ask him about completely unsports gambling related stuff just to see how he answers. Give us a super crazy one, Chad. He knows about How many inches will it snow? I feel like the guy's got an answer. He'd give you an educated answer to any question that you would ask. And he would deliver it in such a precise way that I just always want to ask him. So... What what are the thoughts on the Better Call Saul finale or whatever? He's going to have an answer to almost everything. So I look forward to asking him about whatever the heck I want (laughs) to ask him about. Don't even know what it is yet, but we'll figure it out. Guys, let's uh, let's chat Texas A&M for a bit here. Here are the Aggies with Haynes King at quarterback, Jimbo Fisher uh, with legitimate expectations whenever he signed the, the big money contract to move over from Florida State to head to College Station. Expectations were there, but now they're there. Uh, preseason top six in the AP poll. Uh, they're replacing Isaiah Spiller at running back. Um, the discussion is, number one recruiting class, 13 freshmen are listed on their two deep right now. And they have at least eight wins in all four seasons under Jimbo Fisher. Where do we have them this year? We know that the youth movement in College Station is highly regarded. The highest rated recruiting class in college football history since they've been putting together these rankings and ratings from all of these sites. Over under eight and a half wins for A&M in 2022 based on all of the factors I just laid out. A-chain at running back, who seems to be the bell cow this year. And Haynes King, who we don't know really much about other than how he's heralded coming out of high school because of the injury last year. We know how it affected their season. We don't know how much Haynes King would have meant for the end result for Texas A&M a year ago. You've got the, the, the question with Max Johnson also, who, who was really good last year t- statistically at LSU, who's got more collegiate experience. Um, it, how is he going to factor in at quarterback? It's really crazy when you think about you know Zach Calzada had that great game against uh, against Bama. He was bad against pretty much every other FBS opponent that A and M played. Ania Smith is back. He's a difference maker at wide receiver. Hutton, you love A chain at running back. He's the primary ball carrier now. He was a 800 yard guy as the second option at running back a, a year ago. So that's going to be a big factor offensively. 
I look at their defense, and they've got some good talent coming back. The big question mark I have is how quickly can they get their five-star talent on defense ready to go and contributing. Walter Nolan is a big one. The defensive tackle, the number one recruit in America on the number one recruiting class in America. Is he a difference maker from game one as a true freshman for A&M? That's going to go a long way in determining just how good they're going to be this year. I think that eight and a half number is a good one. I think they're they're right there. I, I see a nine and three team. I don't see a top five or six team. I see a very good football team that's nine and three that's still a year away from truly contending with Alabama and Georgia for the top of the conference. I also see a team that once again I'm just not sold on their quarterback situation. They've got some potential there. They got a guy who did some things and, and a, a former longtime NFL starting quarterback son in Max Johnson did it at LSU. Haynes King, we don't know much about because of the injury early last season. So until I can figure out what they have at quarterback, I'm not comfortable picking them any better than nine wins. Well, I'll pick up where you left off. I, you know, it feels like longer than it's been. It's really these two classes, right? Of the phenomenal recruiting, the phenomenal recruiting that we keep hearing about. Oh, I, I mean, I like teams that recruit phenomenally, but if they don't recruit a phenomenal quarterback to go with it, uh, you know, it's less exciting. I am right at eight. That was the question is posed. Do, do they get to eight? I think they get at eight, but eight and a I, half. I want to next over under year. Eight and a half, you're taking the under. Under. Well, the, what, it, what it said on the screen was, do they get eight wins? So my answer to that question was yes. Um, so I, I think I want them next year to have a great quarterback. Well, they may have one now. Well, I, I hope gonna, they do because I want I want them to be that, the team that goes and overtakes the next team that's like Georgia that they, gets up to the top of the, the expectation is Haynes King is the guy, but when he gets hurt, I mean it derailed what they were doing with Zach Calzada, right, and they got the miracle win out of him. Yeah. And they've he, also got one of the top five quarterbacks in the country as a freshman, five star Connor Weigman, I believe is how you pronounce it. I have to read this because I've mentioned it before the the Athlon Sports preview that has okay. the anonymous coaches quote. Hutton's going to love this anonymous quote. He tell me which one of the rivals of A&M Go ahead. Uh, coaches you know, said this all <laughs> willy-nilly. This is a direct quote from a coach anonymously talking about A&M. You know, they didn't spend all that money on Connor Weigman to keep him on the sidelines, did they? The NIL culture there is like a science experiment. How's it going to work out for the rest of the locker room with these guys getting paid big bucks? <laughs> that is an anonymous opposing coach of A&M sizing up their team. But I just laughed when I read that earlier today, getting ready for this discussion, <laughs> that a coach said, you know, they didn't spend all that money on Connor Weigman. I wanted them to fill in the, the, the blank space and say, from the quarterback coach who recruited Connor Weigman and didn't land him, and this is him talking about him at A&M. They should have a good quarterback on that roster. Jimbo Fisher's got a, a similar problem to what Dan Mullen had. He's good at coaching quarterbacks. He's not great at picking them. He's not always adept at picking the right guy. So even if it's Haynes King as the starter, that doesn't mean that Max Johnson's not a better option at some point. doesn't mean that Connor Weigman as a freshman is not a better option. So I think the talent's there. It's all about picking the right guy. So I'm, I'm taking the over. I, I think they get to nine because I think they win two of this three-game stretch before Alabama. The Alabama game in October is going to be awesome. October 8th in Tuscaloosa. The three-game stretch leading up to that, Miami, 
with a Heisman candidate, preseason Heisman candidate at quarterback on the road in College Station. They follow that up by hosting Arkansas, and then they will visit Mississippi State. That stretch determines, well, the hype going into Alabama is going to be there regardless of their record based on last year. But if they, I mean, if they win those games going into Bama, the, the hype is legit. But if they get two of those, then they're getting to nine wins for the sake of our, our discussion here. What they have to avoid, though, despite having the moment last year where they beat Alabama, they also would lose to Mississippi State. At home. You know, yeah, they would follow that up with a terrible loss compared to what they had just gained um, opponent-wise. So they can't have the letdown moments after they, they, they go through and, and see success. They will, I mean, they're a good team. Are they a college football playoff team this year? I don't think so. Are they the second best team in the West? They absolutely can be. But the only way that's determined is by owning this stretch right out of the chute after they have some layups against Sam Houston State and Appalachian State. They should turn that into a great game at home against Miami, followed by Arkansas-Mississippi State before you even roll into Tuscaloosa. And then South Carolina and Ole Miss. Right. So, so Ole Miss is another example. big one. The, the, the example Would of be a drop this off year South is Carolina. you beat Bama on the road and you turn back and lose to South Carolina. Like you, Those moments can't happen to have the type of success that Jimbo Fisher is expected to have. The national championship winning head coach in Jimbo Fisher feels like decades ago to me. If they're, you know, we still well, point to that. It but is it, close it, to a decade ago now. It's 2013. But I'm so, saying like yeah. it, it feels like it was 20 years ago. Yep. Just, just how much we reference that era compared to what he's expected to do here. This is the time of, and, and based on the money he's getting and the contract, it, this is supposed to be happening where these expectations are there. It is time to cash in on those expectations. And there are big ones in College Station. I remember sitting in College Station a year ago, Hutton, for uh, Outkick the Tailgate and talking with Billy Lucci right outside the stadium. And he was saying this was a chance to salvage an already failed season. Yeah. This was early October against Alabama. They were coming off two straight losses to Arkansas and Mississippi State at home. And they went out and upset Alabama. And you mentioned it. Then later in the season, they lose to a bad LSU team. I mean, it's just – it's been a roller coaster ride – for Jimbo Fisher at A&M to get some sort of consistency. And I think that Mississippi State is that team in the SEC this year that no one's going to talk enough about. Yep. They're very good. And Mike Leach knows how to coach a football team. And I, I've said – And I, he's got a lot of experience, and he's got a quarterback with a ton of experience. That's going to be a very tough game for anyone who plays he, them. He is this year's version of Will Levis – excuse me, of Matt Corral. Um, I, I would point to Mississippi State and say that they could be, they could play spoiler pretty easily based on the the type of offense they're running and who's spinning the football. The schedule's bare too. I mean, you talked about yeah, that chunk brutal. of four, but then the, in the final six, they've got Ole Miss, they got Florida, who people are really everybody we talk to seems to have an expectation. Florida, and they finish with LSU, so three out of their final six, you know, and uh, UMass is the gimme in there, but. Their schedule's bare. They have been the second most successful team over the last decade since they entered the SEC, just record-wise, um, other than Bama, if you're just comparing just 
straight record. But it's kind of consistent, right? It's a yeah, lot of eight very, and four. They don't very dip, but they don't, right. they don't they go don't, crazy. They never capitalize on the crucial moments when it really matters, right? Yeah, they, um, haven't, they haven't bottomed out. Right. They haven't topped That's out right. either. Yeah. And, you know, they haven't been LSU. LSU goes 15-0 and 0 and then 11-12 and 12 over the last two years. They don't do that. But, but this, is, this just feels like they have a chance to be on a college football playoff path whenever they visit Tuscaloosa because of what sets up. Because the, hypothetically speaking, they would have a win over Miami. Who's going to, Miami's going to be good. Um, they would have a win over Arkansas. We, we know how we view a Sam Pittman coach team there with their quarterback play, um, even though they have some questions at wide receiver. I mean, that, that's, and, that's, that's a game I think both sides probably view as a toss-up game. Yeah. yeah. On a neutral site in, in, uh, in Jerry's world. And, and, and then you have uh, Mississippi State, who we, we just got through saying we think can be very good on, on offense as well. It, it's it's going to be a, a fun season. And, and then, you know, who knows what the Alabama game turns into? Especially, I mean, they didn't even need extra. Grudge they, they didn't need more fuel in the fire, but then it was hand-served to us through Saban in his comments about a and I hope it turns into two teams that actually want to fight in oh. that game. That would be nice to watch. I think you're going to get that in that matchup this year. A um, couple of other headlines today. Baker Mayfield's going to start for Carolina. No surprise. Who was, who was, uh, who was betting on Sam Donald on that one? Well, so the, the only hesitation I had was five weeks. He had, what, a six-week turnaround? To get ready yes, for something like that. I mean, that's that is a cram session. But they didn't. I mean, they didn't wait long either. I mean, they they. You yeah, know, the report is the report is they are naming him. I know it's the eighteenth. Uh, you know, opening day, the opening Sunday is the eleventh. So there's still plenty of time. Yeah. If you're if you're declaring your quarterback this early, you have a very strong feeling about him, and you feel like you need to let him. This is one of the things about being a new guy. Let him establish himself in that culture, and the two of them yeah. kind of accept their roles. Um, you know, I hope for good things it's, from him. It'd be a more entertaining NFL season if Baker Mayfield does it, something in it's Carolina. A, it's also yeah, a sign they be. have a very strong feeling about Sam Darnold in the other direction. Yeah. But isn't it weird that if you it's feel that strong player. about Sam Darnold being awful, don't you trade for Baker Mayfield earlier than when they did? It's just a weird... I mean, weird... They, they did play it properly in that there wasn't a lot of leverage right. on that side, so they could wait it out and get the exact price they that they wanted for it. They got a price. But, yeah, I was always weirded out by the fact that more teams weren't vying for Baker Mayfield because he's a much better option than some of the starters we see across the league. Definitely an upgrade in Carolina, and that's why they named him the starter so quickly. Uh, The Big Ten reaches their official announcement, seven-year television agreement with these networks, Fox, CBS, and NBC, uh, for an average of at least a billion per year. Now, this will also include Peacock and FS1, but they will be on television or streaming from 11 a.m. in the morning until 11 o'clock at night. They're everywhere. And good. it's the a la carte feel of the NFL that Kevin Warren has now brought to the Big Ten, where you can flip channels and different networks and still find them. It's an interesting point that Bobby Carpenter raised with us when, when we were first talking about this deal, about the idea of uh, – he was talking from an Ohio State perspective, but I think you could take it from a, the top of the Big Ten perspective 
that big noon kickoff is the prime game in these three slots, right? Yes, it's it's so very highly So how much rated. good night, how much great night football are we going to see out of the Big Ten in terms of the matchups that land on who has the night game? It's NBC. A, it's the thir- NBC. third it's game. It's the third pick. Yeah. So that's not going to be the uh, – there are going to be some weeks where it's not a good game. Sure. Sure. Well, and that's – And that's going to suck. That was always, I thought, the... There, but by the way, there are some weeks where the top game in the SEC is not oh, great. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're... I mean, Alabama's they're, playing Ole Miss, and it's a four-touchdown deficit in the third quarter. Right. On, but I mean... On CBS at 2.30. Yeah. I just but, you think know, that I'm talking it's, traditional uh, matchups right, or right. things that you're hoping are going to be good, yeah. even if they wind up being bad. Uh, you spend the day getting primed for it. In, in this instance, you you wake up and it's on. Yeah. Well, and it's yeah. I, I look at it from the people, the perspective of people who, I mean, these are still games that, you know, 100,000 people go attend. I think about the atmosphere on campus and for a game like that, and 11 a.m. games suck for that reason. You're going to have the biggest game of the week, and it's going to be at 11 a.m., it's great for television ratings. Fox kills it. Noon Eastern, on by that, the way. On that game. Eastern. Yeah, 11 a.m. Central, big noon kickoff on Fox. The rating, TV ratings are great. I think Bobby's also talking about it's a little anticlimactic when you don't have a buildup and anticipation over the course of a Saturday. You watch the early games, the tailgate. You go into the stadium and watch the game at 3.30 Eastern. Or even better, you watch games all day and you go into a stadium at 8 o'clock Eastern time. At night, you're not going to have that as much. You want so, it mixed, at least. Yeah, I, I understand. The the 3.30 as a primetime game, to me, is perfection on a Saturday afternoon. For either league. For SEC's game now that's going to be on ESPN, and for eventually, it's going to be on CBS again this year, but now the Big Ten CBS 3.30 Eastern time package. I like that as primetime viewing for college football. Guys, Todd Furman's about to join us. Uh, uh, let's the, expert, the expert, the uh, expert, Todd Furman. Can't wait to to chat with him. Uh, the host of Bet the Board, uh, the, the podcast he's a part of, and he's a part of uh, CBS Sports uh, and much more. Uh, we discuss quarterback movement. Deshaun Watson now eleven game suspension instead of six. What that means for the Browns from a perspective of projecting what they're going to do in twenty twenty two. Baker Mayfield named the starter. The difference for the Panthers um, and an overall win total there and so many other uh, fascinating things to dive into uh, across the league uh, and college football with Todd Furman. He joins us next on OutKick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based off and running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. 
Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. From 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine, glad you're with us for Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. The crew is all here, and great to have a familiar face and voice on the show, Todd Furman, the man can talk about anything. Joins us, can yes, talk he can. about anything. Uh, host of Bet the Board, a new podcast. CBS Sports is where you can find him. Todd, always good to see you, man. Hope things are well. Hey, thank you guys for having me. And you leave that a little bit open ended. I get nervous when you tell people that I can talk about anything. Uh, so hopefully, we're going to hit it down the middle of the fairway. We'll talk some sports and try and keep people up to date on some of the win totals that have been a moving since preseason kicked off last weekend. Todd, you're such a concise communicator that I just feel like we could just ask you any question and you'd have an educated response and you would deliver it in such a way that it's clear and concise with the information at all times. So I give you full, full marks for that ability. Well, I appreciate that. And hopefully I do not disappoint over the next 15 or 20 minutes or so. Todd, uh, with the uh, additional games added to the Watson suspension today based on the settlement, how does that affect the over-under win total for the Cleveland Browns this upcoming season? You know what, guys? It's been interesting. When you watch the evolution of this entire case and you try and figure out exactly what the gambling implications are going to be, we can start from the micro level and kind of widen the lens a little bit. Early on, when we thought Deshaun Watson was going to debut week one on the road in Charlotte against the Carolina Panthers, the Cleveland Browns were about a four, four and a half point favorite, depending on where you look to try and shop around for that number. Amid speculation that Watson wasn't going to be available for that particular contest, you started to see that number come down. Carolina, of course, goes out, they acquire Baker Mayfield, and lo and behold, you now see the Carolina Panthers a one-point favorite there, but I do think there will be an actual appetite for Cleveland as the number continues to drift out. When you look at some of the bigger markets that are out there for the Browns, we've seen their odds to win the AFC and the Super Bowl, of course, take a major hit, knowing that Jacoby Brissett doesn't quite bring the same skill set that Deshaun Watson was brought in town for from a mobility standpoint. So you're looking at Cleveland in that 20 to one range to win the AFC, significantly longer odds to win the Lombardi trophy at around 40, but their win total and odds to win the division have been most fascinating. We've seen those kind of ping pong from nine and a half with Watson down to eight and a half. And they've gone from co-favorites alongside the Baltimore Ravens in the AFC North to a little bit more of a long shot at about three to one, which puts them third in the pecking order behind Baltimore, behind Cincinnati, but still in front of the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Mitchell Trubisky experience. So a dip, quite the dip. Um, and Watson, I mean, for every, for all the controversy and what he means to that franchise is, is very telling based on where the smart money is riding there. Baker Mayfield though, Todd, Baker Mayfield versus Sam Darnold in totality, just projecting meant what for Carolina? You know, for me, uh, I made a one and a half to two point adjustment for Baker because I think so many people wanted to throw the baby out with the bathwater when they watch Baker Mayfield perform at maybe 50 to 60% max a season ago. 
but it was only a little more than a season past that we were talking about Baker Mayfield potentially getting that extension in Cleveland, being the franchise quarterback and the exact type of guy that Kevin Stefanski needed to operate off of play action, lean on the ground game and let Baker be, I guess for lack of a better term, a glorified game manager. So Baker Mayfield, as we've seen at every stop along the way, whether it was leaving Texas Tech to go to Oklahoma, winning a Heisman Trophy, and now going from a member of the Cleveland Browns to the Carolina Panthers, went healthy, plays with a chip on his shoulder. And I think his accuracy and his ability to create a little bit more on the rollout and on the move will give Carolina an element behind an offensive line that's still trying to figure out what they have. But more importantly for Baker, a healthy Christian McCaffrey, a healthy DJ Moore can go a long, long way in terms of elevating what we saw from Matt Rule's bunch on the offensive side of things. What would it mean to you if we said McCaffrey plays and is healthy throughout the duration of the season for, from, from your advantage and uh, your knowledge of how to progress and, and start placing money on the Panthers? Take Mayfield uh, I mean, out of I, it, just, just knowing McCaffrey's there. Yeah, I mean, I think Christian still at this point, we have to believe that he is still one of the best dual threat options that any NFL team can have, both running between the tackles and catching the ball out of the backfield. You'd like to think that Carolina wants to utilize him where he can take advantage of his elusiveness. So don't run him 20 to 25 times and let him get beaten up by 300-pound defensive linemen. Utilize him on the edge. Take advantage of maybe lining him up in the slot a little bit more. But McCaffrey at this point, until proven otherwise, guys, if he's able to stay healthy, is still one of the elite game breakers. And I don't think it's anything that's lost on fantasy managers that are drafting him either number one or number two overall, depending on how they view his ability going forward versus, of course, what the Colts have in Jonathan Taylor. A couple of just inside baseball process questions for you, Todd. Uh, When Zach Wilson goes down with the injury in a preseason game, how long does that over-under win total for the Jets come off the board completely online? How quickly will that first game spread come off until you find out something definitive about his injury status? How, how long is that lag usually? Well, what's crazy about it, as far as the win total, once they knew that Zach Wilson had a shot, albeit what I see as a little bit of a pipe dream, to be back week one for the game against the Baltimore Ravens, the win total didn't move much. Five and a half was widely available. We've seen this become one of the trendier win totals, surprisingly enough, for people to look to bet over. I think there's an undue amount of optimism given what the Jets were able to do with some of those first-round draft picks. But at the same time, I mean, this team has their hands absolutely full with arguably one of the most daunting schedules that a team could have handpicked over the course of the first eight, nine weeks. Now, when you're looking at that week one game against the Baltimore Ravens, the Jets were going to be hard for sports books to really generate a little bit of buzz and more importantly, money at the window. That number has gone from the Jets, a four and a half point home underdog out to a full touchdown. And gentlemen, I can tell you, if this thing moved out to seven and a half, there are a lot of folks that do this for a living that would gravitate towards backing Joe Flacco and company at a seven and a half or greater, especially in the wake of the comments we heard from Garrett Wilson when asked about Zach Wilson versus a consummate professional and Joe Flacco. And of course, I'm paraphrasing here, more or less saying that Joe throws a much more catchable ball than a 98 mile an hour fastball coming out in a five year, five yard out pattern. Always fun to say, hype up the backup quarterback over your (laughs) franchise guy. It's a young guy. Todd Furman, host of the bet the board pod is on with us right now on OutKick360. Um, Latency issues with streaming. As more and more sporting events go to streaming, how much of an issue is that going to be for the live sports gambler out there as they're watching games digitally and streaming them? 
In my opinion, it is a massive problem. And I think one that the leagues have to figure out with their TV partners, because anybody that's watched football specifically on direct TV knows even direct TV is 30 to 35 seconds at best behind. I mean, not to get too granular, but if you're watching on a genie in one of your other rooms, you could see 45 second delay and that's watching on TV. Now we'll get a pretty good indication uh, on Thursday night football. When we do see the chargers against the chiefs, what Amazon's been able to do to kind of bridge that gap. And you hope that it's not, you know, 60 to 90 seconds versus some of the real time scoreboards that are out there. Now, fortunately for in-game betters, you do have a little bit of a window for football, but it's a major problem going forward, in my opinion, uh, for those folks who want to try and get the best of the number. They're looking for different ways to engage. And while streaming isn't going away anytime soon, you'd hope that there are smarter people out there, especially than me, that can find a way to bridge that gap and make sure that sports books aren't losing a revenue generating opportunity. And to some extent, an opportunity for sports betters to get involved, you know, when they see a costly turnover when they see a team come up short on downs, trusting that the image that's being transmitted to whoever they're watching is in real time. And it's not the sports books trying to pull a rug out from under them because they're two to three plays ahead. Todd, we, we've had this discussion recently on the show. It's fascinating. If you want an example, just pull up the major league baseball odds on your phone, on any app. And whenever the game locks, turn on that game. And there's about to be a play that affects why Vegas locked the game. What's Vegas paying attention to to get the information before I can if we're watching the same game and we're not physically there? Well, it's a great point. I mean, for soccer fans, they know it all too well. Some of the best apps out there, you'll see that goal get scored on your scoreboard 35 to 40 seconds at minimum. And you'll go, wait a second, which team actually scored? Because we've been defending in front of our own net. So what the leagues have access to is live, real, in, you know, in-time data that they're able to transmit from the actual venue itself to a lot of the sportsbook operators that are out there. And having been a part of an organization that helped build an in-play algorithm that now sold for a pretty penny, which probably wasn't the best negotiation tactic for me as a consultant, but that's a different discussion for a different day. You know, you see how all of this stuff works. And for a sports book to feel comfortable trading any sporting event, whether it's the National Football League, whether it's tennis, soccer, baseball, you name it, they have to feel that the information they're getting readily available is something that they can build in, allow the computer to do its heavy lifting, trust their in-house traders to make manual adjustments and put a product out that they feel very comfortable with. And not to go off on a tangent, guys, but when this in-play product was really at its infancy, uh, we were able to take advantage. You were able to get low latency feeds and bet some of the second and third division European soccer leagues that were out there, almost past post bets. And I can hit rewind even further when we figured out that the radio signal was significantly ahead of TV and the offshore books were trying to cut corners that you could listen to your old school AM radio and have about a 15 to 20 second gap that you could place a bet before the algorithms were able to adjust Little to say, I have none of those profits I was able to reap during my college years left. Uh, I spent an awful lot of that on cases of Bush Light at $9.99. <laughs> Let's go back about a month or five weeks to when the Yankees were good. Um, uh, how much, <laughs> how, how much has, has uh, the outlook for them sunk um, for, for World Series? Um, and, and how much am I in the hole uh, based on the odds I got before as opposed to now? 
You know, the odds haven't moved a ton. And I think part of that is because public perception as much as anything else. We know that the Yankees are such a popular team and they're going to garner interest at the betting window, regardless of how they're playing. There's no doubt Yankee fans, myself included, not exactly brimming with confidence uh, given the power outage that we've seen leading up until I guess last, last night, night when nice. you get the grand slam from Josh Donaldson, you go, okay, there is a little bit more pop there. But it's been Aaron Judge really carrying that middle of the lineup. I mean, DJ LeMahieu was hurt. We know how important he is to setting the table atop uh, the Yankees lineup. But over the last couple of years, it's been a broken record. If the Yankees aren't hitting home runs, they can't play small ball. They can't generate runs. And I think more importantly for the Yankees, while the offensive power outage is getting all of the highlights, this was a pitching staff that largely overachieved. I don't think any Yankee fan went into the postseason or had postseason aspirations, I should say, believing that you were going to rely on Jamison Tyon, that Luis Severino could regain his form that we thought could make him a dark horse Cy Young candidate a few years ago. And the Frankie Montas experience, well, it hasn't quite lived up to advanced expectations thus far. I'm honestly trying to scratch my head figuring out what the hell the Yankees were doing, knowing that starting pitching was an area they wanted to focus on. You trade Jordan Montgomery and you bring in an outfielder as a depth piece in Harrison Bader. But there's a reason, I guess, that Brian Cashman still has that job. And I'm out here grinding away like a common man trying to figure out where my next meal is going to come from. Todd, who's been the biggest mover from the preseason odds to win the World Series to now? And that, that could be up or down based on what we thought coming into the season to now. Who's been the biggest mover? I mean, just from a raw number standpoint, as ridiculous as it sounds, is the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, I mean, this was a team that I don't think anybody expected was going to be in the mix. I mean, they put together a win streak. I don't think they're going to get into the postseason, but some of the prices that you could have had on the Orioles, upwards of 750 to 1, upwards of 1,000. From an implied probability standpoint, it's not a massive move, but for the casual fan, you know, taking a team from 1,000 to 1 down to 200 to 1, you know, can be a little bit jarring to the system. When you're looking around Major League Baseball, I mean, the Dodgers were the favorite coming in. If you shopped around and you believe that the Braves were just suffering a bit of a World Series hangover, I mean, you could have had the Braves upwards of 18-1. to 1. We've seen what that pitching staff has meant last night notwithstanding. But this team isn't going to go quietly into the night. Uh, and then, of course, the Mets. When you look at that rotation, even without Jacob deGrom, they were about 15 or 18-1 to 1 to start the season. That price tag is down in that 4.5 to 5-1 to 1 range. So you have seen some movement. Uh, but baseball, probably more than any of the sp other sports, a true separation of the haves and have-nots. And I guess if you're trying to identify a little bit of value and you truly believe in sleepers, you know, maybe make a slight case for this Mariners team going forward if Robbie Ray can regain some of that Cy Young form we've seen. Because clearly Luis Castillo has been the biggest deadline acquisition, and he's paying dividends atop that rotation. Obviously a hell of a lot more than what we've seen from the Padres trading for Josh Hader, who I think is one step closer to the scrap heap than he is trying to remind people why he was the elite knockdown closer the first 50 to 60 games of the year. You have an over-under college or pro that, uh, that you've been keeping your eye on as, as something that's out of whack? We'll go, we'll go, uh, I'll bet it and get it in whack. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these numbers, obviously, on the move. Some of the college win totals have been up since, you know, early May. And you've seen sports books make two to three game adjustments, which is unheard of in the past. You know, the biggest mover in a negative direction was probably Arizona State uh, amid the turmoil and chaos that Herm Edwards has created down there in Tempe. But as far as numbers that are widely available now, uh, I'm extremely bullish uh, for better or worse on the Minnesota Vikings this year. I think bringing in an offensive-minded head coach in Kevin O'Connell will help Kirk Cousins start to scratch the surface of some of his potential. I mean, this was a team that was extremely unfortunate last year, losing an inordinate number 
uh, of one possession games. And a lot of that was attributed to conservative play calling from Mike Zimmer. You get Daniil Hunter back. We know what he can do to make everyone's job, specifically in the secondary, that much better if he's able to create pressure coming off of the edge. Uh, and I think the Vikings are one of the biggest dark horses in the NFC. Uh, I like them over their win total. I think it's a team that should have a floor of 10 wins. And if things were to break the right way and Green Bay goes through some growing pains offensively, maybe even a team uh, that can knock the Packers from their pedestal top the NFC North. Todd Furman, host of Bet the Board Pod, with us on Outkick 360. Uh, some great college football matchups may not be all that great whenever the clock hits zero in week one. But of these three, Todd, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Arkansas, Cincinnati, Georgia, Oregon, which of those three games are you most likely to take the points in right now? So I want no part of the underdog uh, with the Notre Dame fighting Irish. I don't think they have the athletes on the outside to test Jim Knowles defense. I think this game could get ugly early uh, for the fighting Irish. It'll be a little bit of a jolt to the system. And it's going to remind all of us why CJ Stroud is the front runner for the Heisman coming into the season. So that's not an underdog that I'd want. The other two are significantly more attractive because I think a lot of people see Cincinnati. They understand what this team has to replace as far as Luke Fickle is concerned from NFL draft picks, which is extremely rare for a group of five program, but I don't think it's going to be nearly the same drop-off specifically at the quarterback position where Desmond Ritter did what was asked, but didn't go out there and light the world on fire. It wasn't as though he was putting up Kenny Pickett type numbers there. So I think Cincinnati is going to bring their launch. They're going to bring their hard hats. They're going to go into Fayetteville and give this Arkansas team all they can handle. And then some, the main reason I say that is I think people are going to be disappointed with what Arkansas is able to manufacture in its passing attack, knowing that Traylon Burks represented such a major portion uh, of what KJ Jefferson could accomplish through the air. So that one wouldn't shock me at all if we were talking about it being a one possession game and Arkansas playing from behind as we went into the fourth quarter. Now, the Georgia-Oregon game is fascinating for a variety of reasons, because it goes without saying that I think Georgia takes a step back from where they were last year. But Georgia taking a step back still means they're one of the best teams in the country. And it's a group that was able to rotate in a ton of players and get him experience, specifically on the defensive side. So I don't see it being nearly as big a drop-off as a lot of people are forecasting. But again, it will be some when you talk about some of the historic metrics for what that stop unit did last year. I think Stetson Bennett will have the opportunity to stretch the field a little bit more. When you look at Georgia, that tight end room is an absolute matchup nightmare from Brock Bowers. Eric Gilbert and company for what they're going to be able to do. And for Oregon, yes, there's a level of familiarity with uh, Coach Lanning and what he understands this Georgia defense can do so well. We know Bo Nix has played against this Georgia team for the last couple of seasons. So it'll be on Coach Lanning and, and primarily offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham to put Nix in a position where they can take a shot or two because if they're going to try and beat Georgia up in the trenches, things are going to go south in a hurry. But I think Oregon is going to be in that game from start to finish. Do I think they'll be able to pull off an improbable upset like they did in Columbus last year? Probably not. But I think they're a live underdog in the same spot, the same way that the Cincinnati Bearcats are, whereas I would want no part, gentlemen, of backing the Irish as two touchdown pups. Chad, do you have a crazy question for Todd on the way out? Uh, Are you a Better Call Saul fan? 
Uh, you know what, guys? Uh, I never watch Breaking Bad and I never watch Better Call Saul. And I have to admit, as embarrassing as it is to say, I finally gave in about four or five weeks ago and started watching Sons of Anarchy. So I'm about five and a half seasons through there. My goal is to have that wrapped up by the time football season rolls around. And then Better Call Saul, along with, of course, Breaking Bad is the precursor to get that knocked out once the Lombardi Trophy gets handed out in Phoenix in mid-February. Next time we'll have Todd set up odds on a TV show that's already taken place, just in his own mind, what the <laughs> odds would be for the fate of different characters on Sons of Anarchy. That's that's. On the next installment, Todd. Always great See? to always great to, to chat with you. Sons of Anarchy is a good a good choice, by the way. Very binge worthy show, but Breaking Bad should have been number one. Or yes, left. Breaking Bad, and you could you could also you could start with Better Call Saul as the prequel yeah. and go right into Breaking Bad. Oh. There's too much overlap though at the <laughs> end of Better Call Saul. I think you could watch both and understand. Just watch what's Breaking going Bad. On. First. I, I would going go over. Breaking Bad first. Yeah, I'm, I'm really Hutton's, tr- Hutton's right. What I'm trying to do is get cute here, and, and what you should do cute. is watch Breaking Bad first, then go watch Better Call Saul. Leave it to you, Withrow, to try and throw a wrench into the plans here. Really screw up my viewing going forward and ruin a couple of the best shows on television. But, you know, I'll report (laughs) back with Sons of Anarchy when I finish up the seven seasons there. And I appreciate you guys not offering up a spoiler for uh, the Breaking Bad prequel, sequel, however we want to try and put together that chronology there instead. That's what I do. I ruin the experience for everyone, Todd. That's what I was put on earth here to do. Thank you so much. That was great, man. man. Hope to have you on again soon. Thanks for having me, guys. Bet the Board Pod with Todd Furman. Uh, check that out. Always great to catch up with him. And man, it's, he he knows it all. You mentioned it, Chad. Cincinnati, he knows uh, it all. It's Cincinnati, truly, Oregon parlay is set for me. It's truly remarkable that there's no stumble. There's no stutter. He's just right into whatever game you asked about with names, with numbers, with everything. It's He's got a pretty incredible mind. Hit us Ooh. up on Twitter at Outkick360. Jim Ursay, incredible mind. I mean, I've... No. I wouldn't think so. Interesting mind. On psychedelics, man. Yeah. Uh, he's... Ayahuasca mind? He's talking about the Titans again. Titans are on the mind of the Colts' ownership. We've got details on that and why. And his expectations for this year's crew, the GM, head coach, new quarterback, we will uh, we'll tap into what Jim Irsay had to say about the Colts next on Outkick 360. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jim Irsay spoke to the media yesterday after a joint practice, the Colts practicing with the Lions, and had many things to say. Then probably left practice and went and stared into a mirror and sang a song. Um, the, the stuff he does on his private jets are hilarious. And then tweets it out. Statements, songs. He's got a touring memorabilia yeah. thing going on there, yeah. too. Quote, it's about Tennessee. Ursay said Wednesday. It's about winning the division. It's about going against those guys who have been very tough and do a great job and do a great job there getting their players ready to play football in a tough physical way. So it's always going to be tough against those guys. But we know that's what we have to do. That's what we have to overcome if we want to get where we want to get. He went on to say, I mean, 
<laughs> he uh, he referenced Wentz again. <laughs> now that's something he really can't let go. We went through some inconsistency at quarterback, and that led to massive problems. <laughs> we did all those things with Peyton and Marvin, as well documented. The 115 wins in a decade, going to two Super Bowls, winning two home AFC championship games, but now it's time to create another era. It's been created in Pittsburgh. It's been created in Green Bay. It's been created in Denver, so you have to do that. I mean, it's about greatness. No pressure, but if, if you thought that Frank Reich was on the hot seat, you're correct. I mean, we knew that going in, but this guy is not going to take any excuse for any answer right now, unless there's a catastrophic injury to Matt Ryan. Well, That's it, right? Yeah, but I mean, uh, he's got that mindset, but he took the excuse last year. Yeah, he, you know, he, he took did. a guy's word for it. That, that it blew up in his face in a year where they absolutely should have been in the playoffs, and he swallowed it. He was also, though, the most uh, outside of that whole acceptance from Frank Reich down on yes. how that season ended. I mean, he was very much, I mean, short of just firing everyone around, he, you could tell the way he talked about the end of that was not in line with the way Frank Reich addressed the team post game. So, when they lost in Jacksonville. The way he's talking, though, he's not wrong about meeting the physicality and being that and having that mentality. To me, they have to be run first. As crazy as that sounds in Indianapolis, they have to go through Jonathan Taylor to have that type of team. Well, I think Matt Ryan has to play a lot like Ryan Tannehill plays. It, yeah. it goes right in line with what you're saying. He's the secondary thing. The pass game is a play-action thing off of that run. But I don't know that Reich's got that in him I know. because yep. it's a substantial mindset change. Ballard does. And, and listen, Ballard does. I don't know that Mike Vrabel came to Tennessee as a run-first guy necessarily. Mike Vrabel came to Tennessee as a what-do-I-have guy. Oh, I've got a running back that can carry and run for 2,000 yards. We're going to ride that and build around that. And as much grief as Tannehill takes, the Titans wisely shaped Tannehill into what worked for him. Um, well, now yeah, let's but, see the Colts match that and do what works for them, which they, would be Taylor first. Yes, and you can still have Matt Ryan throw for four to 5,000 yards, as crazy as it sounds, and be run first. I'm not saying I'm predicting that, but Tannehill did it in 2020. Yeah. And that was the 2,000-yard season for Henry. Throw so there, there are ways to produce pass-off run, but last year was the opposite. It was either or, and... Whenever it was asked on Wentz, Wentz in the biggest moments didn't step up. He was efficient on paper. I mean, his stats are okay. Yeah. But in the biggest moments, he played very and small. And I don't believe these Colts have the, the weapons for it beyond Taylor. And uh, the Titans, that's one of their big question marks, is the weapons beyond Derrick Henry. Mike, but I think their committee is better. I am Can really I, eager to watch Michael Pittman. He's having a great camp. Yeah, he's a and great he's player. He's been destroying the Lions in practice. But after him, they don't have a lot. Can I make an appeal to you guys in the last 45 seconds yes. of the show? Yep, hit it. Uh, watch the Manti Teo documentary on Netflix. I'm halfway through it. It's it's two hours. It's two two episodes. Okay. Each about an hour. Uh, up late at night. At night, if you get a minute, give it a watch. I think it's something the three of us will be able to discuss. I was up till three last night, so I'm thinking tonight. It's gonna be an early well, crash. I let's probably watch won't get by there. next week. It's not. Uh, it's not timely. Next week. There's no new in, information that's gonna come out in the next few days on it. It's by all, next week, I'm there. Yeah, we'll be able to watch, talk about it together. And tomorrow, join us here, two o'clock central, three o'clock eastern, for Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network. In the meantime, do not block the box, and please lock your lock.